You know, a restaurant is known by its atmosphere. Maybe some of you saw the post that I saw on Instagram that uh, was a guy that was just, he was sitting there, was just a face shot of him, and he was just saying, you know, I just, I just saw something that I couldn't believe. He said, I was just walking out of Chick-fil-A, and I said, I, I heard a man that was so upset, and he was, he was cussing. And he said, I don't know what had him so upset, but he said he was using all kind of really big bad words. He called them $5 bad words. And he said, you know, he said, there are a lot of places you shouldn't cuss. He said, but there's a top three you should never cuss. Never cuss at grandma's house. Never cuss at church. And never cuss at Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A has this reputation for being a good, wholesome, clean atmosphere. We're just getting our own here and kind of getting settled into it. So maybe it's something new for some of you. Down south, there were Chick-fil-A everywhere, and it is the number one restaurant. It's the one that everyone, if you, if you do the research, it's the number one restaurant. You know, often when a restaurant changes hands, they'll put up a new sign that says, under new management. They do that because they want you to know that changes have taken place on the inside. Maybe it had a really bad reputation. Maybe, in fact, sometimes they'll not only put up a sign that says, under new management, sometimes they'll just totally change the name of the restaurant so that really the only thing that's left is the building itself. Everything else is different. The building looks the same, but now what's on the inside looks different. And that's our study today out of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Ephesians has brought us to this new point of under new management. What's on the inside is different than what it used to be. What you see, you see the outside and you go, yeah, I know who that is. But the inside is different now because I've received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Since you already don't know a lot of the songs that I know, I'm going to check and see if you know this one, but I've got a feeling this is going to be a blank staring one again. How many of you know the song, New Life in Christ? It's also one by John Peterson. All right. Let me sing it for you, and then we'll see if you're willing to brave it and try it with me. But the song goes like this. New life in Christ, abundant and free. What glory shine, what joys are mine, what wondrous blessings I see. My past with its sin, the searching and strife, forever gone there's a bright new dawn. For in Christ I have found new life. Now that you've heard it, how many of you have heard that now? So all of us have just heard it. We just heard the song, right? Did it sound familiar? Anybody say, oh yeah, I'd heard that. Okay, some of you have. We may try it at the end, we might not. We'll see, all right? But what I wanted you to notice is when we get saved, though we look the same, we're under new management. Now, let's go back to our text in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice how we begin. It says, Wherefore, 
Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know, this is the third time in this chapter that we get a wherefore, therefore. We got one at the beginning of the chapter when Paul says, I, therefore... And what's it doing? Every time you see a wherefore, a therefore, it points you back to something that's already been said. He's been building on a foundation and he says, because of this, now something new has taken place. Because you have this, now you have a new ability. Because now you're under new management, chapters 1, 2, and 3. I, therefore... The prisoner of the Lord. Paul says a change took place in my life. Then remember in in verse 17, which is where we studied last week, he says, this I say, therefore, what's he doing? He's pointing back to what we've already heard. Now we come to verse 25 and he does it again. This is the third wherefore, therefore, in this chapter where he says, wherefore, because of what you've just learned in 17 through 24, Because you don't have to walk like the old Gentiles. You see, the old management was a liar. The old management was a cheat. The old management did all these different things, and therefore, as an employee, as a family member of the old management, what? You acted the way, that's the way this business was run. You always cheated. You always cut corners. You always did these different things. And Paul, in chapter 4, verse 17, says, Therefore... I testify that you don't have to walk like the old management because you're under new management now. If you've gotten saved, you're no longer under that old way. So why is he doing that? You see, our new owner, the Lord Jesus Christ, our new manager is totally different. What do we know about him? He's not death, he's life. Satan is a liar He's a murderer. Satan is a deceiver. Is Jesus Christ any of those things? No, he's not. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So now, we don't have to act like that old way anymore. Therefore, he comes and he says, wherefore, because you're under a new situation now, he says, you can act differently. And now he comes to the specifics. You see, Everything we now do as a follower of Jesus Christ reflects what the new owner is like. So as you're thinking about that, you don't think of it as a burden. The goal today is not to lay a heavy burden on you today and say, well, you got to do this and you got to do this. The whole point is you don't have to act like the old management anymore. No one likes to work for a management where when people walk in, they're always grumpy because they know you're going to sit down at the table and they go, what do you want? And you can, you can see the difference when you walk into a place of business. Cindy and I walked into a place the other day, and they kind of gave you the idea that they were doing us a favor to let them walk in their establishment. And they didn't get to us right away. They worked on their own stuff. And finally, they kind of looked up and said, yeah, what can we do for you? And it was like, oh, maybe I'm in the wrong place. But, you know, if that's the environment and the employees start acting that way, what happens? They're not even happy when they're there. What I want you to see today as we do this study is no longer do you have to act like the old establishment. 
That's what Paul's telling us. You're free now to act differently. This is going to be a great place to work. This is going to be a great place to be because now it's a great environment to be in. Something that struck me as I was going through this text, and that is when you know you have resources, it impacts how you use or how you spend them. You know, if you know when you walk into a restaurant, you've got two bucks. You're hoping maybe to get a glass of water and a smile. But if you've got an unlimited resource, if you've got someone else's credit card that is not maxed out, it is totally open for you to spend. What happens? You're going to sit down. You're going to go. I think I'd like. I think I'd like to eat this. I'd like this. And you see, knowing what resources we have affects the way we act. Knowing chapters 1 through 3 affects now the way that we can behave. You see, what you believe affects how you behave. Everything we do as a follower of Jesus Christ now should look like this wonderful new management. So he begins by saying, knowing that we have been, verse 24, created in righteousness and true holiness. You're a different person now. You look the same. But notice what he said, you were created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a new you. Being a new you, he says, wherefore, knowing that, put away lying. First thing I want you to notice this morning is truth, being a truth teller. Before, people expect you to lie. People expect you to cheat. People expect you to do things, and they're always wary of you. Because they're, always, they're expecting you to be a cheat and a liar. Why? Because your father, the devil, is a cheat and a liar. Now, it's so interesting. We don't like to be cheated. We don't like to be lied to. But it is kind of the normal way society operates. We say one thing, but we really do another. He says, no, because now you're under the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, now you are free to choose to tell the truth. He said, literally, he says, resisting, if we were to put it in more of a common terminology, he says, resisting all falsity and being done with that, speak every man the truth. So what's a lie? A lie is a statement that's contrary to the fact spoken with the intent to deceive. Now, we have chuckled recently as Cindy and I have looked at homes, just trying to see. We've been renting, and we're looking at seeing if we're going to buy a home. And we're always somewhat amused by sometimes what's listed and by what's actually at the house when you arrive. And you go, huh. You know, if the funny one to me is when they say, you know, the property has a pond on it. It's in the middle of a neighborhood. There's no pond there, unless, of course, they've got a drainage problem, you know, in the yard. I don't know if they're marketing a mistake or what they're doing. But the reality is we get used to people not telling the truth. And he says, oh, no. He says, under new management now, you are free to tell the truth. You don't have to be deceitful. You don't have to hedge any longer. Now, what's the difference between... Um, what is a lie? If I tell you it's noon, and then I realize that my watch was wrong, 
and it's really only 10 o'clock. Maybe I've set something wrong and I'm on, what, Pacific time or whatever from here, I, whatever that would be. Did I lie? No, I gave inaccurate information, but there was no intent behind it. A lie, if I were to give you the wrong time so that you would show up after the meeting's over, it's, it's 10 o'clock. It's really 12 o'clock. And you say, okay, I got two hours, and you show up and everyone's gone and you missed out. That's a lie. The intent is that I would benefit by misleading you. And that's important. I think that's an important thing because sometimes we say things and we genuinely just are mistaken. There was no intent to deceive. And then we walk around going, ah, oh, I'm a liar. You gave wrong information, but the intent was not there. Satan lies with the intent to deceive. Remember what he did with Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Yea, hath God said, and the intent was, God's a liar. God didn't really mean this. God, this isn't really the truth. Hath God said, you shall surely die? You know, God knows, you know, I, God knows that this is going to take place, and he's misled you. See, Satan is a liar. Sadly, we still as Christians hang on to this sometimes where we think we're doing someone a favor by not telling them the truth. What do you think of my outfit? Oh, it looks great. It's ugly! But you don't tell them that. And we think, well, you know, if I just don't tell them the truth, I'm, I'm going to spare them the whatever. But the reality is, the sad, the sad truth is, is that though we may not see the consequences right now, we will see the consequences down the road. To you young people, to you older people, this may be the way we used to always do things. But Paul tells us now, knowing that you're a believer, knowing that you're under new management, knowing that you now are free. You don't have to act like your father, the devil. Now you can act like your father. Tell the truth. You're free to tell the truth. I thought it was interesting. This one I didn't catch. He, Paul, when he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. I didn't realize that was an Old Testament quote until I was reading some other commentaries and they referred me back to Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. And the context of this is that God has told the remnant of Israel, I'm going to put you back in the land. And he says, and since I'm doing this for you, he says, you are now free everyone to be speaking the truth with his neighbor. And the context is Israel to Israel. So with that context in mind, though we ought to speak the truth to everyone specifically, what would this text be telling us? We need to be speaking the truth with one another. Um, I thought this was interesting, for we are members one of another. Notice the analogy he's bringing us back to again. Earlier, he's talking about we're all part of the body. 
And the difference is, in an organization, you may not necessarily have things in common, but in an organism, they all have to work together if they're going to survive. Let me turn that down. Um, an organism has to function together, and what he's saying is, make sure that we're always speaking the truth one with another, because we're all members one with another, members of the body. We've been talking about the church. Now, in this case, what he's saying is, he said, it's, we depend on each other to be able to function. We depend on the truth with each other. We have to be truth tellers. Um, isn't it interesting, of all the things we're going to look at, that Paul starts with this one? Tell the truth. Old man wouldn't tell the truth. New man tells the truth. Why is that? Believers now base our life on reality. We aren't living in a dream world. We now know the truth. I was also thinking about this, though. Uh, we talked about leprosy on Wednesday night, and the problem with leprosy is it begins to short-circuit to where you don't have feeling. Your, your nerves don't connect anymore, and you damage yourself because you don't get the warning signal. And I mentioned to you on Wednesday night, a friend of mine, when I was in college, we would be working, and because of an accident he had had before, he had no feeling in his arm. He was strong, he could do things, but he had no feeling. And he would lay his arm up against a hot muffler or something, and he would burn himself and would never know it until he would smell his skin burning. And, you know, what happens is, is that with, with lies we aren't able to connect. The body has to speak the truth because false signals to parts of the body cause pain, maybe cause spasms when it gets a wrong signal and it's not operating off the truth. So what is expected by how the body functions is that we all are communicating the truth with one another. He then goes on in verse 26 and says, be ye angry and sin not. All right, he talked about being a truth teller. Now he talks about being well-tempered. And we look at this, and what does it say? Be ye angry and sin not. Interestingly enough, you've got two commands in the first part of this verse. He says, use your anger and don't sin. You know, God gives us an emotion that he expects us to use in a God-honoring way. Anger is a good emotion, but it needs to be used in the right way. Obviously, it's possible to use a God-given emotion the wrong way, isn't it? Because he says, be angry, but don't sin with it. The Greek word here, sin, means to miss the mark. Maybe that sounds familiar from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. In this same way, do you know it's possible to get angry and miss the mark? What is the mark? The mark would be that which is wrong, something sinful that's taking place, and God gives us the emotion of anger to deal with things that are not like God. He 
He says, it's important that you learn to control your anger. That's the reason why I use the word well-tempered. My grandfather had a machine shop, and part of that machine shop was that he would do, he would temper metals. Some of you know that. Maybe some of you aren't as familiar with that. If you temper something, you are taking and heating a metal, and he would slowly just bring the temperature up on it, and then he would let it cool. And then he would bring the temperature up, and he would cool it. And what he was doing was he was hardening this metal. He was tempering it. Now, you could rapidly heat something, and you could take all the temper right out of it. And sometimes Grandpa would do that so that then he could make an adjustment to something so that it wouldn't crack or break. Being well-tempered, that he, what he's describing here is he says, it's very important that you learn that anger is not wrong, but you want to make sure in your anger you hit the mark. You deal with, you deal with what needs to be dealt with. Um, John Phillips said, anger can be wholesome. There are times when we should be angry. Anger can be kindled either, and I thought this was interesting. He says, anger can either be kindled by the fire of hell, which James addresses, or a fire from the altar of God. Anger kindled by the old man is always sinful and destructive and devilish. And anger kindled by the Holy Spirit at the sight of some injustice, some great depravity, or some monstrous iniquity is intended to give those who are engaging in the sinful activity reason to fear. So, recently we're seeing different, different uh, articles on abuse. We see articles on abortion. It ought to make us angry because we see someone is being hurt. But we are angry at the sin. God is angry at the sin, yet he loves the sinner. You see how we don't want to miss the mark of using our anger in a wrong way. Um, so he says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So here's the concept. And that is, he says, don't miss the mark with your anger. Don't let yourself just constantly stay in this letting your anger go and go and go. Because what happens is the longer you stay angry, you're going to begin damaging yourself. Specifically, notice what he says, neither give place to the devil. Notice the punctuation that was all one idea. When we allow our anger to continue and it's not cooled down, it's not dealt with, but we just let ourselves stay angry, what happens is we are giving the devil an opportunity. So he says, deal with it, but then let it go. I thought it was also interesting, if you look at the Old Testament passages of God's anger, Jesus Christ was angry. We know anger can't be wrong in and of itself, otherwise we, have, we don't have a sinless Savior. But what we do know is this. As the temperature comes up, as our anger is building, because we're looking at something, we're saying, that's wrong, that needs to be dealt with. We, that shouldn't be allowed to continue. It ought to drive us to do what we normally would not do. But then, we don't let ourselves just continually keep going and staying with that. 
We deal with it, and then we back away with it. If we don't, we now are giving the great deceiver, the murderer, the devil, an opportunity to work in our life. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talked about the fact when you hate your brother, it's the same as being a murderer. Why is that? Because that's where that goes. When we get angry and we don't deal with it, we get angry at someone, but we don't go and confront them. We don't go and say, what you're doing is wrong. That's going to hurt you. But instead, we just keep sitting back. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. And we let that fester and fester and fester. What happens? Now we go from loving a brother to not wanting to see that brother. And you know, that can happen in a church. That can happen in a home. That can happen with siblings. That can happen with coworkers. And specifically, we would say, well, maybe out in the world that happens. It happens in churches. Therefore... He starts by saying, be a truth teller. And then he says, stay well-tempered. Otherwise, you're going to give place to the devil. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So what's behind this? You say, well, the thief needs to stop stealing. Yes, that's true. Our old master, the old management, would take and would steal and destroy by stealing. You're under new management now. He says, you don't have to act that way. You don't, to survive, you don't have to do that kind of thing. What you do now is, he says, now, he says, let the one who stole Stop stealing and begin, instead of thinking about yourself, now you're thinking of others. You know, it reminds us, he says, thou shalt not covet. And then he talks about his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, his wife, his, and he goes through all those different things in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Here we see the same thing being taught in the New Testament. He says, don't be covetous, don't be stealing from someone else, but he says, rather, look for the needs that someone else has. Can you imagine how different that is? We're under new management now. I have resources now to where I can think about others and I can give. In this time frame, this was very difficult. This was a very pertinent truth that had to be taught to these people. Got to remember, there was a lot of slavery. Slaves were often operating with less than what they needed. And so what would they do? They would often take things, they would hide and take things from their, from their slave owner. You had business owners who had a heavy thumb, and so whenever they would be stacking things on the scale, they were putting it down to where, oh, you got a pound and a half here. Uh, no, you got a pound and a half a pound of thumb is what you had. But the reality was that was the way they would operate. And he's saying, oh no, stop stealing. This is not what Christians do. You're under new management. You reflect a God who doesn't steal, a God who doesn't take. You reflect a God who gives. You see, everything we do, we're now liberated to live a different kind of life. We don't have to be ashamed any longer. So he says, I want you now to focus on learning to work. Work is honorable. 
You know, it's interesting when he says, let him that stole stop stealing. What is God really telling us? God is telling us personal property ownership is not wrong. It's a good thing. But he's going on and he's saying, use your resources to be a blessing rather than to be selfish. He goes on to say, work hard with the purpose of using what you get to bless others. Imagine how that changes the way we operate in our homes. When we want to give to those in our home rather than always grumbling about what they've spent. When we want to be a blessing to those around us. Because we're reflecting what our God is like. Being generous. He then goes to verse 29 and he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Corrupt communication. One of the definitions of this is something that is rotted, something that has gone bad, something that is um, uh, totally spoiled. He says, be very careful that you don't let junk come out of your mouth. How often when we rise to a level of leadership do we hear people that think the way they have to communicate, the way they have to manipulate people is by wrong language. And he says, oh no, that's old management stuff. New management is, I'm no longer going to use corrupted communication. I'm going to use communication that ministers. Usually boot camp is one of those places where you assume the drill sergeant is going to be a profanity-laced person who is in your face trying to break you down. We have very good friends. Uh, he's in the Air Force, but he was a drill sergeant. And his nickname was Deacon because they knew he went to church and they knew what kind of person he was. And he was tough and was firm, but he never swore. He never used wrong language. Because you see, his whole goal was to get those guys through, those girls through, so that they could be successful. Oh, he didn't let them by with doing wrong, but his whole purpose now was ministering grace to build up. Notice what it says. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Can you imagine when we take this kind of a statement to heart and we really take, God says, don't do this anymore. It doesn't look like the new management. The new management doesn't talk that way. Remember when Jesus was before the, uh, the high priest and Peter was out in the lobby and, and they're going, you're one of his disciples. He goes, no, no, no. And they said, your speech tells us you're one of his disciples. And then what did he do? Remember what Peter did? He started swearing. They said, no, nope, you're not one of his. Why? This language is associated with this management company. This language is associated with this management company. 
And there's a total difference. But as Christians, why was Paul writing to the Ephesians? Because there were Ephesians who were under new management who were still sounding like old management. They still thought, this is the way I have to communicate. When we lose our temper, our talk changes, and we think, to make my point, to get what I want, I have to communicate this way. Well, that's a lie. You don't have to communicate that way. So the command is, don't let this kind of communication come out of your mouth any longer. Now stop and think about that for just a moment. If that is what God is saying, what should be taking place in our homes? There might be silence for a while in our homes while we're getting used to what the new management wants us to sound like. No longer will I use this kind of language. And all of a sudden, it, ah! Were you going to say something? You can't talk right now. Give me a minute. Because now you're rethinking. You see, before you were not free to choose. You were stuck under the old management. Now you have this new nature in righteousness and true holiness. Now you can do something. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You have the ability. You say, well, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Believing that you can is just a lie. I understand. Because Satan's a liar. He doesn't want you to change. If he can't keep you from being saved, he definitely doesn't want you to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to look like new management. So you start thinking, how should I operate in my home? How should I speak to my children? You say, well, I'm just frustrated. Okay. But let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But I'm just, okay. But still... Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You see, that's the command now that we're under. The new management says, oh, no, we don't talk that way here. You don't swear at grandmas. You don't swear at church. You don't swear at Chick-fil-A. Under new management. <laughs> maybe, maybe with the old place you did, you don't now. And you don't have to. He says, but that which is good to the use of edifying, edifying means to build up. You know, the words that we speak to one another ought to be thinking about how can I help this one be better? We don't lie. You say, well, I'm going to hurt their feelings if I tell them the truth. No, you tell them the truth, but you tell them the truth with them knowing that you care about them. Remember in Proverbs chapter 3, we studied this way back in the fall. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of your heart. Never let mercy and truth be separated in your life. Why? Because you will find favor in the sight of God and man. You can communicate the truth when they know you have their best interests in mind. But that which is good to the use of edifying which way minister grace. What does ministering grace means? It means giving, helping energize someone to do the right thing. You see, there are times when my body, I put my hand on something and I instantly pull my hand off that. Why? My fingertips just communicated to my muscles, which just communicated and said, that's hot. This is going to be damaging to the body. Bing! 
Sometimes it still even leaves, leaves a welt there. It leaves a blister. Why? Because it wasn't quick enough. But it's a whole lot better than leaving it on there. Communication in the body? We have to love each other enough to say, Oh, hot, hot! Take your hand off hot! Don't touch that! But we don't do it going, Hot! Hot! What? It's hot! You see the difference? The difference is, it's for your benefit, not stupid idiot. And sometimes we have that attitude among ourselves. And that's why he says, remember, we're all part of this body. Then he makes this statement. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Do you know, none of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm not going to be a truth teller. I don't have the ability when I'm under pressure to tell the truth except by the grace of God. I don't have the ability to, um, to use my anger properly and not sin without the Holy Spirit. I don't have the ability to become selfless rather than selfish without the Holy Spirit. And he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Isn't it interesting that he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Our communication can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we say, well, how come, how come I just don't seem to have victory in my life? Well, it, could it be that we're grieving the Holy Spirit? One of the doctrines that we will look at in our Constitution is the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person. You see, though we may laugh sometimes, and maybe someone will say something about my car that's sitting in the garage, and I'll say, shh, don't be talking about my car like that. But reality is my car doesn't hear it. A person hears it. The Holy Spirit who lives within us Here's what we're saying. And grieve him. We can make him sad. And so he's saying, you're under new management. You're a brand new person now. The building may look the same, but it's totally been gutted. You've been given all new tables and chairs. You're, you're going to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You've got everything you need now under this new management. And he says... Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the one that we often forget is the one that is the closest to us. Sometimes we do that with our spouse. We, we don't treat them very kindly. We treat everyone else really nicely. And we treat our, our spouse not nearly so kindly. We forget how precious that one that is so near to us. You know, I'm afraid we often do that with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We forget. He's, he's the one living within us. He's empowering us. He's doing all these things for us. And yet we're grieving him. Then we come to this, this last section. I think I'm going to stop there this morning. I think we're going to stop at this. I think we've got lots to think about. I also am concerned about drifting. And I don't want to run this late at all. I want to make sure we can all still get home and what we're all going to do is we're going to get everybody with four-wheel drive vehicles 
and we're going to let them bust the snow first for us, and then everybody who doesn't have those cool, powerful toys, we're going to follow you out. So we'll all kind of get our ducks in a row and be able to leave. But before we do, let's stop and think for just a moment. We are under new management. We are no longer expected to act like our old owner. Now, I'm, I'm hoping you're picking up on this, and that is, I'm not beating you and saying, I can't believe you do this, and I can't believe you guys have done this, and I can't believe you act like this. Oh, no. You're under new management now. You don't have to act that way anymore. It makes you miserable to act that way. You say, oh, yeah, it just feels good kind of to let it fly. Yeah, but then when you're done, when you let something fly, what happens? You've got all this collateral damage you've got to fix. You know, I, get, I get so angry, I punch the door. Well, now I've hurt my hand and I've hurt the door. Now I've got to repair the door. You're under new management. The blessing today is, he says, you don't have to tell lies anymore. You're free to tell the truth because your new management is very happy when you tell the truth. And it reflects what he's like. And people walk up to you and they go, you know, the one thing I know about this person is he's going to tell me the truth. He, he wants, and, and it's not because he's getting even and saying how, how crazy I am or how foolish I am. What he's really saying is, that's going to hurt you. you. You don't want that. You think you want that, you don't want that. We're going to be truth tellers. We're ones who now, we use the God-given emotion of anger in the right way. It's tempered. It's under control. It, the heat, I, I can't just let my my temper fly. He says, don't sin. The command is, deal with problems. The command also is, don't let that emotion get out of control. Can you imagine how wonderful this is going to be? You say, I don't know that I can do this. Well, you can't on your own. But he put the Holy Spirit in you. Why do we make such effort to come and be together? Because we love each other. We love being together, and we need this interconnectivity. We can't function without this interconnectivity because we're all a body. Now, there is this body, but then we also know he's talked about there is a greater body. It's all those that have trusted in Jesus Christ. You see, we're not just truthful with people who happen to attend Lighthouse Baptist, are we? We're truthful with all believers... And we're going to see here in a little bit, we're told we just need to be truth tellers. So we need to tell the truth with everyone. But specifically, it's never a good thing. It's never kind to tell a believer something that's not true, trying to spare them the pain or the embarrassment of it. Wherefore, third time he's used that in this chapter, he appeals to this doctrine dictates our direction. It's important we know what God's word says because that's the way to follow. What's on the inside is different than what it used to be. Are there some things that Paul has mentioned where you would say, hmm, that needs to change in my life. I don't have to be that way anymore. And I know it doesn't look like the new management. Would you today, even before you would leave, would you talk with God and just agree with God and say, Dear God, 
maybe something in my language, maybe my lies, maybe in my reactions, maybe in the way I speak to people. It needs to change. Please forgive me, Father. Help me to accept what you've already given me. You've, you've created me now differently. I want to act that way. In a moment as we pray, I just want to encourage you. If God's spoken to you, would you just right now talk with him? This isn't a confessional. You don't need to talk to me. You do need to talk with God. The second thing is, though, and I don't ever want to take this for granted because I attended church for 10 years before I personally received Christ as my Savior. So can I just ask you this? Are there some here this morning you'd say, I'd like to be under new management. I don't like what I am. I don't like my language. I don't like the way I react. I don't like those different things. But that's because my boss, my owner, that's what he is. I'd like to be under new management. I would like to receive Christ as my Savior. You can do that today as well. It is a choice that you can make. Unlike some religions where they say, here's the sword. You choose or you die. Jesus says, whosoever will may come. Wouldn't you like to work for someone like that? Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my new management. Be in my family and learn from me. I can show you how to change.